that was Fearless Band with Brighter. And welcome to In The Loop, where we let you know about what's going on new and interesting in the world of church media, technology, design, production, all those places, so that you can find out what's going on and then get back to what you're doing, which is creating, directing, producing, and being a part of your local church. I'm your host, Brad Zimmerman. And before we get into too much of the show, I kind of want to let you know what's been going on recently. We did a couple episodes of this show. I posted it. I said, hey, this thing's coming. And then it never happened again. And here's why. Number one, Christmas hit. And it hit me hard and it was super busy. And then um, I had a planned sabbatical. I had asked my uh, leadership of my church. I said, you know what? I've been doing this thing for quite a while. I feel like um, I need a break. My family has a vacation plan to Disney already. Do you think uh, that's at the beginning of February? Do you think I could just take like the entire month of February off plus a couple extra days and just have a sabbatical and have like a tech sabbatical? Sabbatical, which is, you know, kind of a big ask, but I asked my the leadership of our church and they said, for sure, take it. And so all of January after Christmas hit, I was prepping to be gone for the entire month of February. Um, so I was trying to fill all sorts of roles. Our church recently in the fall became a multi-site church. And so there's a lot of extra things for me to think about and make sure we're troubleshot before I left and all of that kind of stuff. So I'm back. Sabbatical is over. It was an awesome time. I'm sure it'll come up more later, but it was a great time of rest and I'm super excited to be back. Um, and one thing to know as I come back is that my goal is to make this a weekly or bi-weekly. I can't promise that it's going to be every week, but at least bi-weekly show in which I'm always going to be here giving you the news about what's going on and letting you know about these things so that you don't have to spend hours and hours searching for this stuff and you can stay in tune with what's going on. We can have a little conversation together. Now, if I have co-hosts with me, great. If I don't, I don't, but we're going to keep the show going no matter what. Now, today I am lucky to have Joel Smith with me. Um, Joel's been around in the church media world for a really long time. Uh, Joel, you want to say hi and kind of tell people you know where you're at right now and what you've done in the past hey brad yeah thanks for having me it's a pleasure to be here for sure um, it's been a while since you and i have actually seen each other but uh, that is know, actually true we cross paths all the time yeah so a long time definitely right now i am doing full-time freelance video production and then uh on the side also doing consulting and uh starting to build my own website as far as training for video, um, media, tech, and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I came from, you know, television broadcast back in the day, moved into working uh, full-time for a church for about four years as uh, media, tech, creative, graphics, web, social media, a little bit, You mean every hat imaginable? Yeah, I mean, why not? The more, <laughs> the more hats, the merrier, right? Exactly. Yeah, so that's where I came from, and so I, I went back freelance about uh, two years ago, and so I've been doing that um, since then, so that's where I am today. Yeah, and you're doing all sorts of crazy stuff. I feel like the last uh, notable thing I saw from you, you were at a Super Bowl press conference, is that correct? I was, yeah. I covered uh, Super Bowl 51 this year, uh, did the, the press week leading up to the Super Bowl, so all the press conferences with the teams and players and coaches. And uh, we, we did uh, five days out there going nonstop. And it was uh, 
I, I did a, uh, the Super Bowl 40 and 41, so it's been about 10 years since I've done a Super Bowl, and it was insane compared to 10 years ago just as far as media coverage and every blog. Oh, man, yeah. It was just every blogger and uh, website and live stream known to man <laughs> was there, and it was a it was literally a circus. There were people – there were guys dressed in dresses. <laughs> there were – People wearing huge sombrero hats. Sombrero hats. Yeah, it was just, it was just like it was just just to get attention odd. and get their get their yep. quote and their moment for the internet. Yeah, and like the the guy from uh, Good Burger was was interviewing people and doing all kinds of bits, and so welcome was, to Good yeah. Burger, home yeah. of the Good Burger. Can yeah. I take your order? Exactly, and he, <laughs> I he- I heard that probably a hundred times. Was it Keenan or Kel? Uh yes, I don't. Must, I actually it must have know. been it must have been Kel because Keenan's on SNL. Yes, it's not Keenan. It was Kel, the the uh, I guess the skinnier guy with the dread. yeah had dreads. Yeah. Yep, yep. Okay, well let's let's jump into what's new. Um, and let's talk about uh some big announcements that have been kind of rolling out sporadically, which is an interesting um release scheme that's been going on with black magic so uh nab has not happened yet correct yeah yeah correct yeah month and a half away okay so yeah nab the national association of broadcasters convention is coming up soon and that's traditionally where a lot of big companies release their new video gear new cameras new sliders and jibs and then there's eighteen thousand different drones that are there (laughs) and you know like everything imaginable and that's when companies like black magic designs show off their new crazy you can't believe it priced item Um, but they have not been doing that this time around. This time around, they've been like doing small live streamed announcements along the way. And so some new ones just came out and there are some other ones that uh, happened since the new year. So we're going to kind of talk about a bunch of these. Joel, you come from the video world. So I I really wanted to hear your take on all of this stuff. So let's start with the biggest slash most expensive one of them all, which is the brand new Blackmagic Ursa Mini Pro. That was interesting, and that was actually something I didn't really expect from them. And it was actually, for me, a pleasant surprise. Okay. Um, and so what uh, – the Blackmagic had the Ursa, and what made the yeah. Ursa special or different than competitors' cameras, the original? Yeah, so let, let's go – let's provide a little big-picture, 30,000-foot view context of Blackmagic, the company, because it's, <clears throat> it's kind of an enigma – especially in the broadcast market. Um, Right. And they're kind of, you know, a lot of people like to compare them to Apple, you know, back in probably 10 years ago when they were really innovative and yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just making waves. And um, that's kind of true. And it's also, there's, there's two sides to it. The thing about black magic to understand is they are, a lot of their products come from acquisitions Yep. And then recently in the last few years they've jumped into other pieces of the market like cameras that really haven't been acquisitions at all. They've kind of been from ground up. And so that's one thing to kind of keep in mind when you think about Blackmagic and all their products is for instance the ATEM line they actually bought from another company. Uh that switcher yeah, year, actually existed. Ago. Yeah, existed 
quite a few years actually before Black Magic even a bottom. Um, same thing with the Terranex boxes, their converters, the the broadcast converters. Terranex was actually a pretty industry standard name in broadcast before Black Magic bought them. Um, and, and most people use these converter boxes. The big thing, and and we can say it about the converter boxes for sure, is that they are cheap. They're not very expensive. So you're getting converter boxes for less than $100 that are meant to be on 24-7 and convert exactly the way you want them to convert from HDMI to SDI or all of these different conversions. And they work exactly the, the way you want them to do to um you know, they're not perfect. I know Joel has his favorite, which is not <laughs> black magic. Um, but uh, they're really cheap. And that's one of the things that black magic, one of the ways that black magic has made waves in this world mm-hmm. is that they've come in and they've acquisition these companies and then they've cut the price points way down so where in the past a video switcher would start at let's say ten thousand dollars they're now selling a video switcher for a thousand dollars or less than a thousand dollars um so that's kind of the opposite of Apple. <laughs> yeah, where yeah, Apple acquires and uses old technology and then sells it for way too much money. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's um, it's an interesting it's an interesting shift in the market for sure. Um, so I was I'm kind of providing that context to move into what we were talking to about about before with the Ursa Mini Pro and the new camera. One thing with Blackmagic is they've acquired these other companies they haven't really acquired a camera company. Right. And so <clears throat> when you consider that, it's actually, they're kind of coming from two different um, spectrums as far as how the products began and how mature they are. And so the this edition of the Ursa Mini Pro, I said was a pleasant surprise because... For me, it finally, I think it's finally showing that they're starting to mature. They started out with that Ursa, and that was kind of their first uh, step or toe in the water towards kind of the more pro broadcast market. Um, and then from there, they released the Ursa Mini, which was probably, you know, the next NAB, I think, is when it actually yep. was announced. And so once again, this is kind of that third iteration, and you can kind of see them. They're they're kind of um, they're taking steps in public as far as not only shifting focus, but also updating and listening to the customers' feedback. And so the Ursa Mini Pro, I think, is finally probably now. Time will tell. We'll probably have to get this camera out in users' hands for six months right. or so to be able to, to see. But I think this is probably the first Blackmagic camera that may, that I personally, at least for me, would recommend. Would, yeah, you would actually consider it. Because a, yeah. a lot of the Blackmagic cameras, they'll come out and there'll be these crazy price points. And then you learn that like the battery is terrible on it and there's <laughs> no good way to charge it or it uses this ridiculous format. Like one of the cameras they came out with didn't have XLR jacks, it had quarter inch audio jacks. Yeah, And it was like, where in the world? And they were saying, we wanted to use standards that could be uh-huh. used by anything. It's like, 
the standard for a microphone is an XLR. So locking why, XLR, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, <clears throat> why in the world would you use a quarter inch uh, input that can just be ripped out of a camera really easily? And why would you, you know? And and a lot of it is like you were saying that they are. This is a brand new project product that they're developing on their own. And so it's starting from the ground up and they're trying to cut costs. They want to right. keep it in this ridiculously, I can't believe it price point. And so, um, you know, so that stuff, you know, impacts all of those things. So what makes right. the mini special? So is, is it just smaller or the mini pro? What makes it special? Is it just smaller? Does it have better frame rates? Does it have what's what's better about it? So the Ursa mini, the, the first Ursa mini um, that came out. Last year's model, last, we'll just call year, it. Yeah, yeah, the last year's model. That um, that was a pretty good camera. Uh, the problem with it was they released it. They announced it too soon. They released it too late. Yep. Um, They've always the, struggled with shipping, like their and products. That's, they, the delivery is, and that's why I'm saying we probably need to wait six six months on this one because um, fool me once, fool me twice. This is you know. Blackmagic has a history, especially in the cameras, the ones that they're starting from ground up, just not delivering on time, not delivering well at the beginning. The Ursa Mini, when it first came out, had some major issues, actually. Um, A lot of uh, picture issues, picture profile issues. There were um, were a lot of complaints of the software, you know, completely crashing, completely locking up. And, you know, they – they eventually fix those bugs and and it's become a lot more stable so the ursa mini pro that they just released hopefully has taken that a lot of those bugs a lot of those issues that they heard back from customer feedback and and improved upon those, reduced them, um, made them better. So this new camera looks like it's addressing a lot of those issues and they've put a lot of tactile controls on the outside of the camera to make it easier to switch to stuff so you're not screwing around on a touch screen or something like that. Yep, that's a big deal. Um, and so they're making it really easy to flip between ND filters and a lot of stuff that older cameras, um, before kind of this, the DSLR cinema revolution happened, all these older cameras used to have all of these buttons and stuff. And now we're getting back to that where it's like, we need to be able to quickly change. And one of the big deals because, uh, the big reasons for that is the fact that they're playing this up, that you can use this camera in multiple different ways that you can use this camera, not only for uh, filmmaking, but that you can convert it over and use it um, for broadcast in the field or broadcast in the studio. Yeah. And that's kind of interesting. To me, it appears like they're, they're seeing the Ursa mini as being the most popular camera that they've released so far. And it looks to me like they're throwing all their chips into it. Yep. That's my guess. Um, unless they come out in a B swinging with something even more crazy. I'm kind of wondering if they're going to keep their studio camera line and make it kind of more of the cheaper entry level. That's, that's what I'm guessing would happen is that they want to make this the like standard quality line and they make their current studio cameras, which are very cheap, even cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and cut those down so the most expensive one is a thousand dollars instead of the cheapest one being a thousand dollars you know you, you you cut that price point even lower so that you know small uh high school and college tv studios and right. you know little joe blow places or home uh youtube studios and stuff like that can have you know multiple cameras and not break the bank on them so yep. it'll be really interesting to see what happens at nab this is just kind of their first big announcement about it but like you said it'll be really interesting to see what accompanies this um you know at nab or does nothing accompany it and we've mm-hmm. already heard everything that's coming out yeah okay so we've we've talked about that there's more to say about it but i want to move on and just quickly hit some of the other products that they uh announced recently so one of the other ones is they redid the atem uh television studio so right. uh like you were saying before they had they bought this product a long time ago the atem line and made the atem line and then a year or two back, or two or three years ago, they came out with their new production studios. And their production studios were 4K capable, and you could do, um, they had six gigabit um, uh, SDI lines and all this kind of stuff in them so they could handle 4K switching, and um, they didn't have terrible power supplies attached to them anymore that failed on you all the time, and they had an LCD screen on the front of them so you could actually see what was going on, and they made a bunch of, with some of their acquisitions, they made a way more mature product. Um, right. But the ATEM TV studio sat there still for under $1,000. It was still their cheapest model, but just kind of sat on the shelves and they kept selling this old thing. Well, they finally have updated it and the updated version has some really interesting things about it that I think would be really appealing to churches. The one to me that's the most interesting is that you can actually use the front panel of the switcher to do your video switching. Mm -hmm. And so they uh, have done with that what I wish they would do with the production studio, which is all of these buttons and the screen that's on the front of the device, you can use in a live format to actually punch and switch between sources which I think is awesome. Like it's such a a smart thing. I honestly think most people won't use it, um, but I think it's such a great selling feature. Um, Because if if you rack mount the thing or even on a desktop, it's just not ergonomically in a place that you would want to do very much switching. And so I don't know how many people will actually use that functionality, but I think in a pinch, it's great. Like... Hey, I because um, Blackmagic gives you uh, software that you can use to switch, so you don't have to buy a big six thousand dollar hardware controller to switch between your sources. And um, most people use that software, but what happens if you have a network issue or your mouse goes dead or you know something like that? It's really great to know that I can just go physically press a button on this thing and keep the show going. So you could almost see it as like a great backup if you're not using it as your first thing. So the other thing that they uh, updated is they took a lot of software changes and updates that they had done to the production line and added it to the television studio. So you can do audio mixing. You also, if you have their um, television studio cameras hooked up, you can do color correction and... um, and all of that stuff from the switcher to all of your remote cameras. And it has their new um, 
uh, talkback system built into it so you can talk back from the switcher to any other cameras that are on the chain that are all hooked up together. So it kind of cuts down on cabling if you use all of their stuff. Um, if you're not using their stuff, some of these features really aren't that big of a deal, but the price point's still great. It's under $1,000. It looks to be a super solid switcher that I would actually immediately recommend over over the production studio for most people because it's going to mm-hmm. do the do the job they need for most churches most churches don't need what comes in those production studio ones so this yeah. is a, a a great switcher the other thing is they cut down the the form factor and made it smaller and the reason they did this is uh and it's not rack mountable from the get-go you actually have to buy a rack mount kit which i think is kind of crappy but it is what it is yeah. but you you pay 85 dollars for this uh, rack mount kit and the cool you gotta, thing you gotta pay for a for a power cable <laughs> they don't oh, come do, with power cables <laughs> yeah but it, at least how, it's that's a how black magic saves like it, at least it's a standard power cable so yeah, I, sh- I should have a bunch of them laying around that's true the rack mount kit probably is not standard that's, it yeah. is not standard so the rack mount kit it's 85 bucks and basically, if you haven't seen the pictures, you can go look on their website, but picture the video switchers taking up like two thirds of, of the rack mount area and there's one third left. And in that one third, you can put one of their two new redesigned products. So the first one is the HyperDeck Studio Mini. And basically what the HyperDeck Studio is, is a way to record what you're switching. So it's it's a, a place to record it. And this new HyperDeck Studio Mini records to SD cards. So it's got dual SD card uh, playback and recording. Um, and it says also you can do FTP media upload right from it. So you could actually like hook that bad boy into your, your network and not even have to hook into a computer to get stuff off of that and That's online, a big deal. which is yeah. really cool because it, it takes a step out. You never have to remove the cards from the slot. You can just send them online. So if you're, if you hit stop and start at the right time, you have a finished product that's ready for upload. Mm-hmm. Um, which is pretty cool and it's and it's you know you could have a ton of these so they're like showing pictures of like just racks full of these things but for a lot of churches you could put that right next to your switcher and in one rack unit um i think it's one rack space uh you could have a video switcher and your recorder Mm -hmm. all in that one spot which is pretty rad the other thing that can go in there is the new black magic web presenter now this thing, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this, Joel. This thing, I I don't get. Um, it basically converts your your switched video or just takes one camera input and an audio input and converts it to USB and makes it show up like any USB webcam would. So. If you would pull up Skype or you would pull up Facebook Live or YouTube Live or anything that's saying, like, show me your webcam, this device would automatically show up. There's no need for drivers on it on the Mac or the PC. It just shows up perfectly every time. And you can then take your signal and send it to those sources. Now, I kind of get it, but it also doesn't make any sense to me of like what it's doing special compared to any of the other products they have besides the fact that it's rack mountable and has like looped through SDI. Do you have any insight, Joel, on why I should spend $500 on this when I could spend way less on some of their other products that do a similar service? Yeah, I... I've had trouble wrapping my head around this product too. It's kind of one of those, 
it's like they listened to their customers, but they there was some lost in translation moments. <laughs> <laughs> um, I get the idea, but I don't get the point. Um, so one thing with, especially with streaming, is the major part of taking any kind of video signal or any kind of camera and then taking that and sending it to a web stream, it takes a process called encoding. So you yeah. have to take that video signal. It comes in what's called uncompressed. So it's this huge flow of information right. that then has to get crunched down into a format that is one small so it can actually be sent over the internet and then two you know a standard that is playable on yeah, a format you know, that's correct for it right and you on, and you have to do all of that in real time yeah and it has to be done frame by frame in real time um it has to keep up with what's coming in and sending that out within you know a reasonable amount of time and so the major part of all of that is the actual crunching of that data. Which is why well, often if you're in the, you know, the Facebook groups or anything like that, you see Joel always recommend hardware encoders because yes. those, those encoders are built to do that one task and do it well. And it's not going to um, slow down because you accidentally opened up Facebook on your live streaming computer. That's, you know, right. doing the encoding, all of that kind of stuff. So yep. that's where that bulk of the work is being done. Yeah. It, take, it takes a lot of actual processing power to be able to do that actual CPU power in a computer. Um, and it's one of those deals that, um, by black magic offering this box, it's not really saving you much of that processing. It's like, not, it's it not would at make all. Sense. It would make more sense if the web presenter all of a sudden became an encoder itself. And then all you have to do is use a computer to, Select your service and say what rates and all that kind of stuff. Yes. And that's the thing. When I looked at it, that's what I was expecting it to be. I was like, oh, cool. They made a streaming box that they're standardizing that you can, you know, plug stuff directly into it and you can, you know, do whatever. And that it's like encoding all that signal and sending it to the internet. And you're just like having a nice interface to interface with it. And that could be updated for new services as they roll out, like Facebook Live and stuff like that but that is not the case about any of this so yeah so uh basically what me and joel are saying is skip this uh wait and see why this has a place because it doesn't make any sense yeah i i don't really see it making sense for churches um the only thing i could see it making sense for is if you have a situation where you only have two cameras or you have one camera and you have ProPresenter or your presentation computer yep. and you want to be able to switch between those two, like a simple Bible study or even, you know, a smaller church that just has one camera and one computer. Yeah. Then it kind of makes sense because it can kind of take place of not only a video switcher, but also just the the software needed, you know, you can use the free encoding software at that point, like OBS, uh, open yes. broadcaster software, or, you know, a vMix or something like that. That is probably the only situation where it would make sense. But even then, I don't know. I, 
they shoehorned that feature in to try to get people there to say you can do two inputs not just one but it's still not really uh worth i i don't think it's worth the money so no yeah i agree okay let's move on i want to keep the keep the show moving so there's a, a brand new site that actually has new in the title. It's called newsupply.co and it's design assets for designers in church. So if you're a designer in the church and you're like, I don't really want to like go to Creative Market or go to, you know, Graphic River or any of these sites and just buy a template and change out the text. Like I want some assets that are meant for me in the church, but I still want to create. Like I don't want to have all of my creation ripped away from me and I'm just like buying the finished product. I want to still have a, a say in some of the creation. That's what this site is. So it does have templates, but it also has a lot of... Um, assets so you can buy like all of these different crazy like cross designs and you can buy layered artwork but you can also get you know minimalist icons and stuff like that that are meant for churches so it's not like hey let me figure out how to have these cool icons fit christmas and easter but crap it's all easter bunnies and santa clauses it's like no these are actually icons that are designed for church use um so this was started by uh jonathan Malm and Joe Cavezos. So uh, Joe is a fantastic designer who is actually behind a lot of the videos and sermon packs and, and stuff like that you, that you see from a lot of different companies. So Joe's worked with a lot of these different companies and he provides the artwork and then they do some finishing video work for it and it's a product. Um, Jonathan Malm is uh, the guy behind churchstagedesignideas.com and a bunch of other stuff. He has a ton of different uh, uh, projects going on all the time. And uh, Sunday Mag is one of the other ones uh, that you may have heard of, but that his stage design site is his biggest thing. Um, And so they started this together. It's just getting off the ground. Uh, Just recently, they're going to keep adding. um, Jonathan said that there's a ton of designs like waiting to get uploaded. So there's a ton of stuff sitting, waiting to get there. It just hasn't been uploaded yet. So um, they're just, they're working on it, but they got it out there. So it's nusupply.co, nusupply.co, nusupply.co. And that looks like a pretty sweet site. Um, Yep. Yeah, you know if it you know if it's from Jonathan Malm and Joe Cavazos that it's going to be super high quality and definitely worth it. Yeah, yeah, and Joe used to work at uh, for Igniter and Graceway Media, and so he's he's done a lot of different things. Worked with a ton of different people. He designs album art for All Sons and Daughters and a bunch of mm-hmm. other bands and artists. So Joe's a phenomenal designer and a great guy. Both of them are great guys. Okay, so the next thing I want to talk about is the debacle at the Oscars. Okay, so if you did not watch the Oscars, I was actually um, out in the West Coast on uh, Sunday night. And so I didn't have live TV. I was at my brother's house in Vegas and I was just watching Twitter. I opened Twitter for the first time in almost a year so that I could have real-time coverage of, of the Oscars. And so I'm watching all these tweets and seeing what's coming up. And I'm like, okay, everything looks like it's pretty much done and whatever. And then all of a sudden, something crazy happens. And the crazy thing that happens is that uh, they gave the best picture, which is the most important Oscar of them all, to the wrong movie. And it was ridiculous. Joel, did you watch this? 
I didn't watch it live, but I did see it the next morning. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's crazy. It's never happened in the 88 years that the Oscars has been going on that they gave the award to the wrong person. And uh, what uh, there's a bunch of different things that came out, but there's this great article on why typography matters, especially at the Oscars. It was posted on Medium. Um, we'll have a link in the show notes to it. But basically what they pointed out is that the envelopes and what the presenters are reading are so poorly designed that it's really hard to know whether or not you're reading the right thing or the wrong thing. So somebody could hand you an envelope and really by like just glancing at it, you have no idea if you're reading the right thing or not because the name of the person who won and the movie they are a part of, let's say for best actress, they have an example of this, are the exact same size and boldness in the center of it. And then in smaller print at the bottom of the envelope or at the bottom of the card is what category it came from. And then the Oscars logo is at the top. And what they're saying is this is like terrible typography. There's nothing that draws your eyes to the point of what's going on. And you're branding a card that no one really ever sees at the top of the card. And so what they did is they went through and they just redid it in a way that has more pleasing typography. So at the top of the card, you have best actress and then underneath it, just the way you would naturally read it. So best actress goes to Emma Stone and then under it from the movie La La Land, which is a minor point. The major point is who won best actress, which is Emma Stone. And then at the very bottom, oh yeah, we're at the Oscars. Okay, I'm not reading this envelope at the wrong event. It's not like I'm at the Golden Globes. I'm like, crap, they gave me the Oscar envelope. What am I supposed to do? You know, like that doesn't happen. And so uh, they just pointed out how typography really makes a big difference and how it would have totally solved the best picture um, issue because they would have read at the top of the card that they weren't reading um, they weren't reading uh, the best actress card because that's what they actually read. They were... Uh, they would have said, oh, I have the wrong card here. Can somebody give me the right one? Mm -hmm. So um, this just goes to show you how important some of these details are. I know a lot of times when we're designing stuff and we're going through things, it's really easy to say like, oh man, like I like I think this looks nice or whatever, but it's like, no, go through and read it the way people are going to go read it. Go through and look at this like from an outside perspective. Go give it to the secretary. Go give it to the person who's not a designer, who doesn't care about any of that stuff and ask them, does this make sense? Does this information card I'm having you fill out, does this actually like, what would you do with this? And if they grab it and they like, only put their name on it, even though you put at the top, like all information must be filled out. And they like, yeah, this is all I would do. You could say, well, why didn't you do, oh, I didn't see that, or I didn't notice that, or it wasn't clear to me that you cared about this other stuff. And so typography, the way you lay things out, where stuff is positioned on the page really does matter. So um, that's a lesson we can learn from the Oscars. Uh, somebody else also posted that if you've ever had a bad Sunday, just remember that the Oscars had an entire year to plan out a two hour event and they screwed it up. So if you mm -hmm. screw up a Sunday morning that you planned over a week, don't feel too bad. Yep. So, okay. Uh, moving on. Uh, speaking of design and speaking of typography, uh, Adobe uh, jointly is working on a product with Apple, 
Google, Microsoft, and Adobe. So these four companies, four of the largest companies you could say uh, that do stuff with design and the internet are all working together on what is called a variable font. And what this means is that a single font file could uh, behave like multiple font files. So what you have is let's say, normally you have like, uh, let's say Helvetica, and then you have Helvetica light and bold and medium and bolder, or, you know, like you have all of these different weights of a font and then you have italics and, you know, all of these different things. Well, they're saying, what if we put all of that into one file? And what if we let you choose which part, uh, what size you want, and you're only using one font file, but it can dynamically change. And you have to see it to, to fully understand it. Joel, I don't, are you checking this out right now where they have that illustration of yeah. that piece going in and out? Yep. What, like, uh, where do you see this come into play in the uh, online and, and usefulness for people? Yeah, this is a huge deal. Um, being a guy that I've dabbled in design over the years, but I also... I design my own websites and I have, you know, a couple of websites out there that I, that I've coded myself and I've had to deal with, you know, embedding fonts and stuff like that. And it, um, this is a, a huge deal actually. And that's one thing that they're taking cues from what's called media queries in, uh, in the basic code of a website, basically, um, you know, when the iPhone came out and when tablets came out, all of a sudden we had all these different screens where we had to view content. Um, we had, you know, 27 inch monitors at our desk, but then we went to our phone at four inch screen and all of a sudden, how do you make those two make sense design wise, legibility wise and stuff like that. And it, it quickly became a mess. Just, you know, speaking from experience, it was totally a disaster trying to get fonts to look correct between all the different uh, sizes of screens. And then finally along came HTML5 with the CSS3, which CSS3 is uh, what connects to the HTML page that tells it, you know, this How to font. make it look pretty, basically. Yeah, the, this heading font needs to be this size when the screen is this size. And yep. that became a huge deal. That became a game changer for you know web designers and graphic designers. It uh, allowed what's called responsive design that you probably have heard of and yep. is is pretty normal. It's when like your website can like look great on a computer and a phone and it's all just one site. It's not an app and a site or a yeah. mobile version and a regular version. It's all the same version. Yeah, so the websites you could like for instance on a desktop, you could open a website that was responsive and all and you could grab that right side of the window and just start dragging it left and right. And you could see the different elements of the website changing sizes and changing shapes and moving in relation to what size the window was at the time. Well, fonts have never had that. And it's always just been a, you know, change the font size to match when this uh, screen size is this much. Well, now this, this font, all of a sudden it becomes, you know, uh, a, a one step compared to 20 steps. And so that right there is just going to be huge. And I think it's definitely something that we've needed for a long time. So it's exciting to finally see, especially somebody like Adobe, you know, Google, all the big, the big names finally jumping in and just, you know, 
going for it. So that's cool. And since Adobe and or since Apple and Google are a part of it, what it really means is that it could get adopted to phone platforms really quickly. Yeah. That once uh, it may take a little longer, like it'll probably get put in Chrome and Safari and, and Microsoft's there. So hopefully it'll be in Microsoft Edge. Mm-hmm. Um but like that it could hopefully get thrown on all of the major platforms that, you know, are 90% of the way that people view stuff online, it could get adopted to those really quickly. So this is just a cool thing to know that it's coming, Mm -hmm. Um, not something that you need to figure out how to implement today, but something that you should just know that it's coming. Yeah. And I think I would love to see this happen to actual font files too, instead of having to download, you know, 12 different weights of each individual And that's what it will... That's what it will be. Yeah, exactly. When it's done, that's the way uh, this one, it'll be one file that encompasses all of it. So you don't have to. So it's not just web. It's going to be for graphic design too, which will be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. So, uh, so that's variable fonts. Uh, the last thing is if you're in the church world and you're in making videos, you're doing, um, any of that stuff, or even if you're teaching and you're uh, trying to tell stories, people again and again go back to Pixar and they go back to Disney who are great storytellers but often they go back to Pixar and they talk about all these values that Pixar has in storytelling and how they do what they do and people teach about this all the time and you can go to conferences and and hear people talk about it well the cool thing is that uh, Pixar partnered up with a uh, online academy called the Khan Academy Um, and they released a totally free series that goes through a bunch of different stuff. Um, but part of it is storytelling, but there's other things in there like, um, uh, like virtual cameras and color science and simulation of how they do simulation of hair and how they do, um, you know, effects and particle systems and patterns and all of these different things that they've done in their movies and all the great, huge um, knowledge that they've got from making all of these gorgeous films that they've made over the years, they're sharing a ton of this for free. And so this is just like a really cool course to go check out. Um, and you may not watch all of them, but you may like find a couple that sound interesting and check them out. Um, so it's called Pixar in the Box. We'll have a, a link to it in the um, show notes so you can check that out. Um, but that is uh, the last piece of something new that you guys can check out. Coming up next is what's useful for you. They say washing the river of Jordan, wipe away your sins like I've done mine. And the people, then they'll be equals. There's too many sinkholes we've left behind. Everybody else stalled. I don't really understand what y'all are, what y'all want. I can't live, can't be free, I can't be here. Gave my sweat. Well, that is River of Jordan featuring Bray and Isaac, I believe, by Lecrae off the new Shaq soundtrack, not Shaquille O'Neal. 
Um, that would be amazing if there was a new Shaq documentary coming out. No, this is The Shaq, the controversial um, but much-loved uh, book that is coming to theaters, uh, I believe, this coming weekend or soon. Um which the soundtrack, I don't really care how the movie performs because the soundtrack is great. There's a ton of great songs on there. So uh, that one is uh, worth checking out and uh, adding into your rotation. Well, we like to uh, end every episode by talking about some things that are useful for you guys to check out. So this isn't necessarily something that's brand new, but something that you might be able to use all the time. And uh, mine isn't something that you do, but something that you listen to. And during my uh, sabbatical, I took uh, some time to knock out some and try out some new podcasts. Uh, I always get scared to try new podcasts. I love podcasts, listen to them all the time, but I always get scared that I'm going to start one and it's going to suck and that I've given up like an hour of my time to something that's bad. Um, but I've that's rarely ever happened because there's so many good podcasts out there. So um, I checked out this podcast that I had heard about a few different times and it's on like the best lists right now all over the place and it's called How I Built This with Guy Raz from NPR. And basically what this show is is they talk to people who started um, some amazing businesses and talk to them about how they built it, where they got the idea, how they went about it, what problems they went ran into along the way, what triumphs they had, all of this kind of stuff. And they have some really cool people on here. So um, they have the guys who started Instagram, the guys uh, started uh, Zappos, um, Warby Parker, Melissa and Doug, Patagonia, um, Southwest Airlines, and Sam Adams Brewery. Like they have a ton of Airbnb, all of these different things, uh, Cliff Bar. All these stories are so great. And the reason that I'm saying this uh, is a great resource for you guys is because um, a lot of times in the church, we get stuck thinking the same way. We've done the church for a long time, and honestly, we're uh, in the midst of a huge transition where megachurches are not the normal thing um, and are going to become less and less important to church culture than they've been uh, in the last uh, couple decades, and where bigger isn't always better, and there's uh, some huge shifts that are, are in the process of happening right now, and um, these podcasts really help you think about like, why would you change? Like if you're going to change, how do you go about it? And what kind of culture do you want in your workplace? And so if you're leading anything, this is just such a great brain thinking exercise matched with really great stories. Uh, also, if you like stuff like Shark Tank, um, this is right up your alley because this is very similar to like when they ask people like, oh, you're an entrepreneur. What are you starting? And they tell the story of like why we started the business, but they do it in such an engaging way and you get to hear such really cool stuff. Um, you know, so you can find out some really interesting things of how some of these businesses got started. And uh, yeah, it's just a great show. So that's uh, how I built this uh, from NPR. You can find it in any of the podcasts directories. So uh, make sure you check that one out. So Joel, what do you have that's useful for us? I listen, I listen to that podcast too, by the way, and love it. That is, uh, I especially love the one with uh, the Southwest Airlines um, yeah. founder, Herb Kelher. That yeah. I mean, it was just fascinating to hear how he disrupted the airline market and how persistent he was. That was just, it, it took him four years to have his first flight yeah. happen. 
Yeah. From the day he was like, hey, let's start an airline. I don't know anything about airlines, but some guy said I should start one. So sure, let me give it a shot. And then four years later and tons of money and lawsuits, he actually gets yep. it started. It's It was yeah. crazy. Yeah. And the one about Instagram too was really great. Just hearing how they got started and, you know, keeping the servers running in the early days and stuff like yeah. that. It's just, it's cool to hear, We you know, we see the, we see the, uh, we see the highlight reel, but we we always miss you know the behind the scenes, the yep. the real the real grind, and to realize you know these people are just like us. There's they they come home with just as much stress, sometimes more, and so just you know and they make they make mistakes, they do stupid yeah, things, they totally. get into issues, they have problems. One that isn't in this, but like you brought to mind when you said that is uh, when they were making Toy Story two. Um, there's a video video about this that somebody oh, who was man. making Toy Story 2, they remoted in from home or they were they're at work working on something and they pressed the wrong command line <laughs> command and deleted the entire film, like yep. all of it. Yeah. And the only reason that it was saved is because they had backed it up at home so they could work on uh-huh. it. Um, and that's the only reason it got saved. But they single handedly could have deleted all of Toy Story 2. Oh, like, man months before completion and would have set them back years of time and work. Yeah. That story, it just makes my heart hurt. Just when I I hear that story, I'm just like, Oh, I just couldn't imagine. Thankfully they saved it. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. That's a great, that's a great podcast. Um, in, in the same vein, I've kind of got another, uh, recommendation. It's, it's a little bit like how I built this, but it's tailored to a specific industry. Uh, one of my favorite podcasts right now to listen to is one called The Go Creative Show. And if you are a storyteller, if you're a film buff, if you're a, you know, if you love doing video, if you love editing, if you love shooting, if you love gear, all that stuff, um, that is an excellent podcast. It is a guy that owns a production company in Boston, but what he does is he has a guest every week that is either you know a director of photography for a, a movie or a TV series or a guy that works for you know uh, National Geographic or a guy that works for you know Sky News or a guy that works for the BBC out in you know Afghanistan shooting and it's fascinating to hear how one how all of these things entertainment wise and media wise just how they get made the behind the scenes and to just hear you know kind of people's um, philosophies and personalities and how they, how they do things is, it's really fascinating to hear. And if you love gear, you can really geek out on some of the stuff in that too. So it's really cool. <laughs> so you can get a great education from, uh, from both oh, yeah. of these, these podcasts and, uh, find out more about how it does take a lot of work in those moments that you're <laughs> frustrated about like, Oh man, it, this just seems overwhelming. Guess what? It happens to other people too. And it is, it's not as easy as uh, a lot of times it looks and uh, it, you go through hard times. So these are two great podcasts to take a listen to that you can, uh, you can get an education. There's not just YouTube university, there's podcast university. So, exactly. you know, make sure you make sure you check both of those out. Well, uh, as we wrap up here, Joel, where can people find more of what you do? Yeah, so the best place and easiest way to get a hold of me is probably through my website at joelwsmith.com. Um, and I'm also on Facebook. You can check out my page at um, user joelwsmith.com. Uh, those are the two easiest ways to get a hold of me. And I'm posting articles and I'm, you know, I'm frequenting the uh, Facebook groups like Visual Church Media and stuff like that too. So I'll probably see a lot of you guys there. 
Yes, yeah, so you can check him out there. Um, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram and a bunch of different places. Just look for CMD TV um, and or Church Media Drop, uh, and that's the big place that I want to send you guys to. If you're looking for free media for your church and free resources, or you in your church are creating awesome content that you want to share with other people, that's what Church Media Drop is all about. So uh, make sure you head over to Church Media Drop, find some content for Easter uh, or some announcement graphics or some background video loops. All of it is totally free, and it's all provided from people who work in churches just like you. So uh, you can check all of that out at churchmediadrop.com. Well, we're going to let you go today uh, and just spend a little time worshiping um, with a new one from Carrie Job's latest album, The Garden. This is called uh, Let Your Glory Fall. Thanks for joining us. Longing stirs in my soul Draws me near